0: I'm Hugh Acheson, and this is Hugh Acheson's stirs the Pot. On today's show, I visit my dear friend Gail Simmons at her home in Brooklyn. She's a longtime judge and Bravo's Top Chef, an author, an editor, and just an all-around great food mind, and a great friend to me for many years. She's also uh, Canadian, and uh, we have a natural kinship, joined at the hip of patriotism. If you're enjoying Hugh Atchison stirs the Pot, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. That'll help other people find this show. If you're a first-time listener, please subscribe and download other episodes like Carla Hall, finds Soul Food, and last week's episode, Flynn McGarry Makes a Movie. Here's this week's episode, Gail Simmons Has a Baby. I am in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, New York with my friend Gail Simmons. How are you?
1: Hi Hugh, I'm great, how are you?
0: I'm really good. It's crazy world out there.
1: It sure is, I'm happy you're here in my little cocoon in I- Brooklyn.
0: I like your cocoon in Brooklyn. It's funny, coming over from Manhattan it reminded me of uh, this neighborhood Reminded me a lot of parts of Toronto.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Just the diversity of businesses and pedestrian traffic, but also the brown zones, the architecture and things like that. More, more around like University of Toronto, that area.
1: It's, it's, for me, I find such a relief to cross the bridge. Now that I live here, my shoulders it's relax. It's a decompression. Maybe. It is a decompression. That's and it's nice. green and, well, at the moment, it's sort of yellow and orange. But it's, it's a deep sigh of relief and maybe because it kind of connects me to
0: home a little bit yeah and we I mean I love the uh, the charge and fury of Manhattan itself but it always feels like I'm a salmon spawning upstream trying yes. to get through and this morning with the rain it was dodging spears and people's umbrellas going into the eyes it's a dangerous world out there <laughs> so I was thinking a lot of these days about the differences between Canada and the US and for those who don't know uh, Gail is from Toronto and I'm from Ottawa but I have a lot of family in Toronto and then we both spent a good amount of time um, in Montreal, uh, me pretending to go to school and uh, Gail <laughs> actually going to school. I did. I went
1: to college. You
0: went to McGill. University, as did they Did you call go to Havergal there. There? in Toronto? No, no, no. But I lived around the corner from Havergal. Okay. I went yeah. to
1: Forest Hill Collegiate Institute. Yeah.
0: Well, my, uh, my, my grandparents' house was in Forest Hill.
1: What street? Do you remember?
0: Uh, it was on... 307 Russell Hill Road. Russell
1: Hill Road. And it's a gorgeous uh, street. Yeah, it's
0: a gorgeous street. And my my grandfather was very proud of his house. And he worked his way up from the mailroom to be the CEO of Canada Wire. And... They had this palatial brick structure, it was mm-hmm. a, just a huge house, dining room table that would fit like twenty four people.
1: My uh, type two of thing. best girlfriends, really to this day from childhood, both went to Havergal.
0: Yeah, one I'm, now
1: lives here with me in Brooklyn, and one is still in Toronto. But I spent a lot of time my went to mom. summer camp there.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, my mom went to
1: Havergal. Oh, so
0: yeah. But yeah, they, they living in the states now. I mean, I'm a dual citizen. I've lived here for what twenty some odd years more than that if you include stints in childhood. But it's funny that now more than ever, it it could have been pretty homogenous for a while uh, in the early 2000s that Canada and the U.S. were very similar in a lot of ways. There was uh, some some political discord that was very similar in both different areas. You know, the West was going pretty right. Um, But now I think we really see the differences more and more, even though the right wings really forced its way back into the Premiership of Ontario. Yes. You thought the Fords were done, but no. They're, they're back, back
1: with a vengeance. They always there are other, come back. There are other arms of the family.
0: I know, luckily, because the oh. first one, Oof, you,
1: that you, bad. You, yeah. That was a bad yes. moment in, in Toronto history, yeah. like all political history. It's interesting. I am not a dual citizen. I'm still only a Canadian citizen. I have a green card. I've lived here 19 years. So the fact that I'm not a citizen is purely out of being lazy. Right. Um, I have two American children, I'm married to a Canadian, but if you had asked me even three years ago, would you ever move back to Canada? And people ask me all the time, in fact they love to ask me, you can ever move back to Canada? My answer was always no. Sort of looking at them as if they're crazy. Yeah.
0: What, what? What's the why, point? Why would I move why? back?
1: My family's here, I own a home here, I have a business here. My husband's business is here and also my husband's from Montreal and I'm from Toronto and they have an infamous rivalry and my t- my husband is never in a million years moving to Toronto. <laughs> and I don't want to live in Montreal as much as I love Montreal culturally and I love the food of Montreal. I don't want to live through those winters and there would be no work for me there because I'm not bilingual. So we would have a standstill as to where to live. So no, Canada is not an option would be always our answer to the question.
0: But it's things years, have changed. it's never looked better. It really. It's it, and it's you know.
1: It's our it's our plan B. There's no question, and it's not even a B. I mean, the it, more I spend time in Toronto lately, the more I realize that there is a pull home that I never actually thought. Yeah,
0: I, about. I, I the pull to me is probably not to Ottawa, but boy, Montreal to me is yeah. just a city to live in. And I'm bilingual, but you speak Spanish.
1: I speak French too, but my French is strong, but I could not conduct my business full on in in French at the moment. I went to French immersion school growing up. I lived in Montreal for university. That's what
0: Westmount's for.
1: Yeah. It's totally English. <laughs> exactly right. And that's where my family is in yeah. Montreal, very Anglophone community. But I, you know, just the, what I do is not viable in Montreal if you're not French speaking, native French speaking. All the work in food media for English speakers is, is in, in Toronto. Toronto. yeah, And that's and where my family is and, and my friends are.
0: And Gil, you and I both have worked recently on a production in Canada, which is that version of Iron Chef Canada, which it, it was so funny to be back working in Canada. Yeah. And then we we're way on the east side of Toronto. Um,
1: Scarborough.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, Scarborough. Uh, for those of you aren't unfamiliar with Canadian g- geography and Toronto geography, Scarborough is a huge bastion of amazing immigrant communities, all wedged together in a little bit of a rough and tumble town of Scarborough. Yeah. It's kind of suburban I, exurban almost. Yes. Um, but, but we be, found some great food. Right I went.
1: Around. I was. I was in love with Scarborough. What's funny is the only thing people really know about Scarborough is Mark. Mark Mike Myers. Is that where? Isn't that where? Um, his, what well, his most famous Canadian character? Um, didn't he live in Scarborough? Um,
0: oh, uh, where he lived in the basement and. Uh, yeah, uh, Wayne. Wayne's World.
1: Wayne's World. I think took place he in a basement so many in Scarborough. Characters. I now know. we're
0: reminded that he was in Halloween because the new Halloween movie came out. Oh, that's right. And that's kind of terrifying. That's and terrifying. then he was the Austin Powers guy. Of
1: course. I mean, uh, he's a genius. He
0: is a genius.
1: But his that was Scarborough, I believe his sort of childhood growing up in like a shag rug basement in Scarborough. I I spent no time in Scarborough growing up in Toronto for the first 23 years of my life, 22 years of my life. And going back to shoot television in Canada this summer and specifically in Scarborough, I totally, everything I wanted was in Scarborough. All the food I wanted to eat, all the Canadian brands I wanted to patron, like, you know, Loblaws, the best grocery store.
0: Loblaws is is and, our uh, Kroger in Canada. Yeah. Things uh, like that. But, uh, they, they and just, then great
1: ethnic food.
0: Really amazing. Chinese. I went to one Chinese restaurant. What was it, the one? Fisherman something. Oh
1: yeah, that place with the giant yeah, lobster the towers. Tanks everywhere.
0: <laughs> and, but they only take cash or Canadian debit cards. So. And bill for three of us was like seven hundred dollars, but it was pretty crazy. And you pretty told me awesome. about that? Yeah. It did was,
1: you like, I was like? what? I need to interview you about this for a second. Did you like shooting Iron Chef Candle? Like, are you happy you did it?
0: You know, I haven't done competitive cooking in a long time, so it was a little startling.
1: Not Um, not since Top Chef Masters?
0: Not since Top Chef Masters, really in any real capacity. And this was, uh, these were intense shoots. Um, You know, you're going into cooking five courses in an hour. You kind of have a bit of an inkling as to what it could be. You've got some menus sketched out. You have a team of two sous sous chefs, which was actually really nice um, to actually create a camaraderie of of sorts. Very tight, yeah. Versus doing it alone is kind of lonely and Mm -hmm. busy and torrid in your head. Um, But this was this was really good. Um, I really liked uh, the. It was really hot in there. Oh, yeah. The studio under all those lights, even in Toronto, but it was in the summer when we taped. It felt like it was about 140 degrees. So oh,
1: it, I think it was. It,
0: it was. It and was I
1: wasn't really even over the hot. stove. I was sort of set back from you guys, and I was yeah really dying of it at the, sitting at my monitors.
0: But, you know, I think that the, the caliber of chefs we encountered, and these are all chefs from across Canada or c- Canadian expats. Uh, was pretty amazing. I mean, the, the first uh, episode that airs uh, that I'm in is against Alex Chen, who's a restaurant called Boulevard in Vancouver. And this guy plays seventh in the door uh as the leader of the Canadian contingent. Um,
1: I was blown away by I... the talent across the board. I mean, the five Iron Chefs themselves, you, Amanda Cohen from Dirt Candy here in New York. Yeah. And then three... Lynn
0: Crawford...
1: Rob Feeney and, and
0: Sucer Lee in
1: powerhouses. You guys were impressive. And then the, sh- the, the contestants or the challengers who fought against you, I I, you know, because I'm a New York snob and used to all the chefs that I work with here, I wasn't sure what to expect, but they consistently amazed me what they brought to the competition. It
0: it amazed me to a caliber level that was so accelerated and better than what I'd watched on Top Chef Canada years ago. Mm -hmm. But that can be an anomaly too because there are even years of Top Chef where you're like scratching your head going, can these
1: guys cook? Yeah, But they're also at a slightly different place in their careers too. These guys right. are like at the top, top yeah. of the best restaurants in Canada. Yeah, Top Chef is sort of like they're on the verge.
0: So it was good, but it did get me thinking, and this is constantly that quandary question that we both get, is what is Canadian food? Mm-hmm. So what is Canadian mm-hmm.
1: food? I used to not have an answer. I but I you've now, been working on I've it. been working on it. it. Well, because on. I've spent a lot more time thinking about it. Again, I used to be a little bit of a snob, because I, I left Canada, you know, I left for my career and I left for the food in a lot of ways. And I grew up in Toronto, which is an incredibly diverse multicultural city, but it didn't feel united in its sort of culinary endeavors at all, Toronto. It was so disparate in a way. and. Now, especially after spending the summer there shooting Iron Chef Canada and seeing all of these Canadian chefs, I mean, I really think Canadian food is a few things. It's just like American food. There's 10,000 things. American food is totally different in New York than it is in Georgia, um, that's for sure. Just like Canada is totally different on the East Coast to the West Coast. But I was really amazed by the quality of ingredients in Canada, the natural ingredients, the foraged ingredients. One chef that was on the show that you didn't meet, because he wasn't on your episode, um, was a native Canadian indigenous chef in Canada, and he runs a restaurant in outside of Edmonton. He's part of C- the Cree Nation, and he brought with him the most amazing ingredients, moss and game and pelts and just so many amazing things that I'd never seen before and to me that felt like such a privilege because I don't see that here at all. I don't know any Native American chefs who are at that level, who have restaurants at that level and not because they aren't worthy, but because America hasn't
0: Embrace embraced that. Embraced yeah. it. it
1: turns out, you know, we're still struggling with
0: Well, I mean, I think that that's yeah, there's probably so many reasons for that. But the first are the ubiquitous um, uh, labels of mosaic versus mm-hmm. melting pot. Yes. And Canada's always been very keen to be a mosaic of nationality.
1: His name is Shane Chartrand, and he's cooking outside of Edmonton. And I was just blown away by the fact that i, I it occurred to me I've never seen native... Canadian or American indigenous cooking elevated in that way. and that's sad for a lot of reasons, but really exciting that Canada is in a place where they can celebrate that and that he was able to do what he's doing and that people are responding to it, yeah. I
0: mean, I, the two words uh, the the terms of mosaic and melting pot really jump up to me as as really fully defining what we often talk about as the differences between Canada and the u s. Mosaic implies uh, the...
1: uh, It's like less assimilation.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's the welcoming of the culture that you come from to exist within that land, uh, as opposed to not forcing, but sort of prescribing an idea, adopting the new culture of the place that you're going to. Right.
1: I've always said, and this is a bit of a generalization, that Canadians are whatever their heritage is first and Canadians second. Whereas in America, you identify first and fo- foremost as American.
0: But it's so it, it's so beautiful though, that level of patriotism that you see in the immigrant population in Canada uh, that has been allowed to keep their cultural adherence to the land they're from. But boy, are they, are they ever proudly Canadian. Oh, and there's know?
1: nothing to me that I don't hold more important. Yeah,
0: it's just, it's it's very touching. And, it, you know, as opposed to this new sort of rearing of its head of uh, nationalism in the United States, where that's, nationalism is often termed to me as patriotism gone bad. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, that exists in small amounts, obviously in Canada too, but it just doesn't have the sort of bandwidth that it does right here, right now. Or the ex- new acceptance of it, which is terrifying. Right, but that's, that's another for sure. issue. I agree. So, you know, I think that what we know, what we define as Canadian food, is so regionally different from place to place. Um, you know, to me, Toronto, there is no Toronto food. Toronto mm-hmm. is like the United Nations of the world. It's got more. Immigrants from different countries than anywhere as
1: the biggest Chinatown outside of China It has four Chinatowns, but the biggest Chinese population outside of China.
0: Yeah, it's incredibly rich with diversity Mm -hmm. Um, Then we move over to Quebec which has diversity as well, but does have a really definable
1: I think so too of any place in Canada for me Quebec has this rusticity this hardiness partially because of the Insanely cold temperatures of their winters Um, But they also have incredible product that they have really used, I think, in the most amazing ingenious ways. They have a huge duck and foie gras production. Their cheese and their dairy is some of the best in the world.
0: And unpasteurized
1: often. Yes, and unpasteurized because we don't have- The devil of unpasteurization. True enough. Um, And so I really think, and then they have amazing seafood, and uh, even though they're not on ocean, they have a really yeah, big that, culture of that's a
0: weird fresh water. People always say that, but the, you know, the, in some essence they are, because as you go up to the gas bay,
1: yes.
0: you know, you're that's internal ocean mm-hmm. at that point. I know. And you go to Joe B from Montreal and eat uni yeah. sea urchin from the gas bay. And they're
1: lobsters from Ile de Madeleine. Yeah. And they they also, I mean the St. Lawrence River that was the entry point for all immigrants during the First and Second World War where America had Ellis Island. All of my um, ancestors, my grandparents, great-grandparents, all came through the St. Lawrence River, through Montreal. And that was the entry point of the immigrant community through Quebec to the rest of Canada. So that that I think says a lot too for the hardiness of the stock in Montreal
0: and while walking around uh, Cobble Hill in Brooklyn uh, you come across a lot of the older older Italian families that are still here though a lot of the areas gentrified a little bit and uh, but you see the, the the saints and the Jesuses in the mm-hmm. front yards, which always reminds me of like Montreal Portuguese neighborhoods. Absolutely. You've got basically an outside church yep. um, mixed with winemaking equipment and jugs of uh, stuff, murky things, and then the large statue of Jesus. Um, there is. With candles everywhere. Well,
1: and where we are right now, my home is in the back of a church, an old church that was a Catholic church that became um, sort of Unused because the population of the community was changing so much and now it was converted to condos And I'm the gentrifying scum that sort of bought up the condo and changed the neighborhood But I love living in this neighborhood because there still is a really interesting community here There is still that old Italian community. There's a lot of old Italian bakeries and pasta shops and butchers. Yeah, incredible old Italian butchers and and bakeries and Then there's also a really big Syrian and Yemen Community just north of me by two blocks, and then there's this old Jewish community of Brooklyn that still has pieces in this neighborhood. So I kind of love that there are ghosts of all of these.
0: And you, your home is in a church, but a home should be a sanctuary. So you yes. you found it. Yes, it's good
1: for the. I Jews like that that sanctuary
0: for the Jews
1: came into the Catholic Church.
0: Yeah. I'm going to break it down this way because I just realized in doing some mind math that I, uh, I don't wear underwear when I shower, but I wear it uh, the rest of the time. So I shower once a day for 10 minutes. That means I wear underwear for 23 hours, 50 minutes a day. That's crazy. And for years, I couldn't find underwear that, you know, lasted. It fit well. It was comfortable. It was regular. It was just well made. And then if I'm Mack Weldon, Mack Weldon is amazing. And it's for five, six, seven years now. It's all I've really ever worn. They are premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. And Mack Weldon is just better than whatever you're wearing right now. Trust me, I'm wearing them right now. Mac believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. The website's great, it's easy to navigate. You get bundles of, of underwear or undershirts, amazing socks. They have a line of silver underwear. They're naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable at Mack Weldon, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they'll refund you, no questions asked. We never ask questions about essentials. Not only does MacWeldon's Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. Going out, going to work, going out on dates, sitting at desks like I am right now, just everyday life. It's a Mac Weldon world I live in. I bought them online, and again, it was easy as pie, MacWeldon.com, and right now, if you go online, you get 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code HUE, Hugh, That's visiting MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and enter promo code HUE, Hugh, at checkout. Again, the essentials are essential. Go to MacWeldon. Weldon. There are many searches in life. You have many holy grails to find. Mine for the last 10 years that I've been traveling incessantly has been to find a perfect luggage, like a perfect carry-on, a wheelie thing, let's call it that. Let's call it a wheelie thing. A suitcase. Some people call it a suitcase. And what I've found after going through many of them is that they're really, really expensive brands and they're really cheap brands, not implying any quality. And then I found a way. Away makes an amazing bag. I've been very, very happy with it. They use high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands. Like much lower price. They have nine colors and four sizes. They're made with premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. They have four, four wheels, 360-degree spinner wheels. Because 350 didn't work. They have four wheels. Having two. Hmm, not adequate. Having one, definitely stupid. Having three, tippy toppy. Having four is perfect. It's a lifetime warranty. Beat that. If it breaks, they'll fix it. Or listen you a new one. Both sizes of the carry-on models are available to charge all your cell phones. They have a built-in battery that's removable. It comes with a cord. Charge your tablets, your e-readers, anything else that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. Trust me, that's useful. You get a 100-day trial. Live with it. Vibe with it. Travel with it. Instagram it. No questions asked. Free shipping on any Away order within the 48 states. Really? I've got a green one, and it's awesome. It, uh, it's... I'm not going to say it's bulletproof, but it's tough as nails. And those four 360-degree spinny wheels are pretty amazing. Zipping through the airport at light speed, passing all those people with the cheap bags, watching that guy with the expensive bags that falls apart upon the airport floor. Sadness will not happen with away bags. Go and get you a carry-on. Go and get you one to four sizes of suitcases. Away It's the way to buy luggage. So let's talk about uh, women and cooking, and how that's changing and becoming, um, we're confronting the issues of uh, women not uh, given enough space in kitchens to really succeed on their own. We're still, uh, unfortunately, giving out awards for best women chefs, mm-hmm. which always seems stupid to me. But people like you know Tracy Desjardins, Dominique Crenn, and Sophie Peek, and um, all these chefs from around the world who are, um, can, compete equally, there's no there's no gender, uh, shouldn't be any gender specificity in in, in th- cooking and food and leadership in kitchens. Should have nothing to do with being a man or a woman. Um, yet we're still hobbled, but we're making progress, we think. I,
1: I think we are. I am conflicted internally about this co- conversation in a lot of ways. I'm not conflicted about the fact that women can cook just as well as men and equally and can be as acute business people and run and mentor and lead in every capacity. I'm conflicted about that woman chef argument only because the reason that the female chef category exists is so that they're not overlooked because they have been for so long. And if we didn't differentiate, so many women would never be recognized.
0: Yeah, Sadly, no, I agree. it's sad.
1: It's frustrating, but that's... I, I agree with you. And I'm frustrated by the fact that there has to be a separate category. It's chef and woman chef, as opposed to male chef and right, female chef. Right.
0: So maybe that maybe that uh, award of best woman chef, or whatever you know, mm-hmm. whoever's bestowing that, the hundred best or whatever. Right. Is, maybe that should be made publicly a temporary measure that it's given a timeline yes. to elapse uh, to give a chance of inclusion to these people because I, I do think we're. Look,
1: I don't think the James Beard I don't think James Beard delineates. No,
0: they don't. And they sh- they should never do. Yes. It. Um And
1: they've done a great job in the last of, few years of of it it just is very equal. They have uh, they have awarded many many women. Which yeah, is
0: which is, I mean the last James Beard awards were really marked by the fact that people of color and women really were ascendant in in the in the awards mm-hmm. and received a good amount of the awards. Uh, but I don't I don't want to have that have to be highlighted in the record books like it's, you know, a steroid use in a in a right. s- baseball stats. Right. I want it to be the, that that is a natural mm-hmm. progression towards uh tearing off um, the blinders that we've had on that only looks at, you know, the time cover of the Masters right. of Shefton yes, or whatever. The gods with, of, of you know the kitchen. Rennie and David Chang right. and whoever else was on that I-,
1: I think we have a long way to go. And I think in order to get there with the awards, we have to take s- several steps back and look at where we're coming from. And there are so many factors in the kitchen that have led us to where we are. And I think we are now woke, so to speak, a little bit more and are hoping to have those conversations openly and honestly and actually, and not defensively so that we can actually make progress. Yeah. Because we all have to admit that it happened, that we did treat women poorly in most kitchens until recently, that there isn't an equal division. There just isn't, that's truth. I, I believe that the statistic is still that under 15 or maybe under 20% of kitchens in America are women. That's just a fact. We're getting better. So first we need to know the facts and address them and not get mad at them because they're true. Um, on Top Chef, we're asked this all the time. Why have so many more men won than women? We've done 16, well, let's say 50, we have 15 winners uh, in the proper show, not the spinoffs. And of those 15 winners, i am it's all it's a blur, three, but something like, no, maybe four. five or six. <coughs> Okay. Of 16, let's say five. I, I'm not totally sure. So let's not, let's fact check this at a later date. But that's actually, compared to the industry, pretty spot on, if not more than industry standard. When you think about the truth of how many women are running restaurants at that level in America.
0: Right. But I'm luckily that's changing. Yes. Yes. A- yes. And, and I, th- I, th- it it is. But we have to it. look
1: at the industry first before we crap on Top Chef, because I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that that's what we're doing, but um, you know, interestingly, a show like Top Chef has always stacked the deck in some way because we always start off 50-50, which is not indicative of the industry because right. our hope is to make it more equal. And I know this is this conversation is not about Top Chef, but it's just an example. Um, and then it's sort of may the best person win. And it is hard to find women at the level that we're at that we want to be at on the show.
0: And that's just purely, purely because that's statistical. Industry, it's, it's, because exactly. it's, it's a the smaller part of correct. the industry. But that, but that is changing. You know. It's, yes. Uh, uh, thank goodness. You know, in in Brooklyn, the hottest restaurants are you know Missy Robbins place, sure. places, and uh, that's because. Um, it's got nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. It's the fact that she's been a badass chef mm-hmm. in the trenches for 20 some odd years. Correct. And is finally, you know, look, opening up a restaurant can only be a lot about luck and being in the right place at the wrong, uh, right time. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of very successful chefs regardless of gender who will fail with good enterprises in the wrong location at yes. the wrong time with wrong staff.
1: Something like 50% of restaurants. Yes.
0: But Missy's just killing she's it right killing now it. and it's beautiful to see because she's an amazing person mm-hmm. who's really got such amount of culinary knowledge and skill sets and was the chef at Spiaggia and cooks for the obamas and but seemed to fall off the radar for a number of years and then came back just ferociously yeah well part dominate. of the
1: reason she was able to do that is because she found a partner she has a single partner in her restaurants who she is very, very close to, and so she found the right partner and backer. And I think that that is the complaint of a lot of women chefs that I speak to. That's where the stumbling block seems to be, is finding supporters and backers financially who are willing to have the confidence and the faith, in women to back them with the same money and support and resources that they back when men run restaurant empires. And that is a a big hurdle.
0: I think it is a big hurdle.
1: As a woman business person, because let's let's also remember that running a restaurant is a business, first and foremost. Yes, you can be a great chef, you can make beautiful food, but the fact is, if you don't get the asses in the seats to eat the food, none of it matters, right? Right. It's a business, as you know more than anyone.
0: And you need somebody, you know, right? You need... Anybody who knows how to read a lease well, yes, um, there are not many chefs in America who are really comfortable and um, can go up against a hundred-page lease from a developer right. to really know where the pratfalls are in that. You so.
1: need a team of people. And yeah, you, you need it is I- to not and and the confidence to know what your strengths are, but also to to be able to to give them hell. Yeah, you know, and that's a hard thing for women to do in a lot of ways because I do think to some extent. We have been taught to um, be intimidated by that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's eat some food. Yeah,
1: let's eat some food. I'm really let's hungry. Show me your actually. kitchen.
0: Come on in. What'd you make? What'd you make?
1: I made nothing because I had morning meetings and um, I have a five month old. So you know, I'm cooking. I'm cooking, but today wasn't one of those days. Um,
0: I'm, I'm looking at the baby monitor, but
1: there's the, no one in it. That's is not a scared. baby. The, baby is a <laughs> the baby's is its straight jacket. The baby's sleep sack is in the baby monitor. That's all you're seeing. The baby um, is
0: poaching in 83 degree heat.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's—it is deceptive. It's wrong. It's probably it's wrong. about 74. Okay, good. But that—I don't know. It's always reading high for some reason. Where's my knife? Um, so I brought—I—I—I I, I, I shopped. Wow. I shopped for you. I'm bringing you. You went to
0: Schwartz's?
1: Pretty close.
0: Mile End? Mile End. Nice. Um, Good Jewish Montreal. Yes. Place.
1: I thought I'd bring you a little of Canada and a little of my neighborhood all in one. So there's a lot of food and.
0: Big neighborhood.
1: Yeah. There's, I feel like we should quarter these. It's so I think massive. We should quarter yeah, I'm going to quarter them. Uh, so I brought you a couple things. Mile End is a Canadian boy who moved here. It was originally, it's actually, it's changed a bit, but it was originally started by a Canadian, a young Canadian man who moved to New York for law school, realized he hated law school, and started a Montreal-style Jewish deli, but modernized it and opened around the corner from me here in Brooklyn. And it's called Mile Land, named after an old Jewish neighborhood in Montreal which has now also been totally gentrified. gentrified. It's such a great neighborhood. It
0: is a great neighborhood, it always has been, but it's still, the Montreal Jewish influence is still. It, strong. It's so strong and, and will never go away, uh, I don't think.
1: Not uh, at all, and it's beautiful. So I got you two sandwiches from him. One is his classic smoked meat, which is different than pastrami, and One is the Walensky, which is totally
0: the Americanized
1: stolen. Yeah, stolen from a a Jewish shop called Walenskys in Montreal, and he kind of took a version of the sandwich and is making his own version here. And so those are both from Ireland, and also some poutine. Nice. I've never once found a good poutine in America. Uh, Yeah, poutine in America. Okay, so the the big
0: the big big problem with poutine in America is. Up until now, the availability of cheese curds mm-hmm. has not been properly available.
1: Cheese curds in Montreal, for people who have never seen them, are like a impulse buy. They sit on the counter. They're not yeah, a refrigerated not, dairy. But they're
0: really perishable too, which is I so know, weird. I know, but they're,
1: there they are on the counter. I'm going to warm this up in the microwave because I'm being efficient. Yeah. Um, this is just the gravy.
0: Tom used routine. his microwave too. I yeah. see,
1: you know what? We're, we're allowed. Um, Would- So I have some poutine from Mile End. I don't know if it's gonna be great or not, but at least they know what they're doing. It does, and then he put some smoked meat on top, which is gratuitous.
0: It's totally gratuitous. Now, this is the problem with an already gut-stopping Canadian icon of foods, which, by the way, poutine, we have no idea who allowed it to escape from Montreal, or Quebec. As a whole, but it's not supposed to be anywhere else. No, I know
1: it's not. Um, That's what I'm saying I've never had a good one in America.
0: Yeah, but uh, so poutine is uh, a really simple uh, beef gravy over French fries with cheese curds. That's the classic. That's it. Cheese curds melt out. It shouldn't out, have hot foie gras. Fries. It
1: shouldn't have, you but know.
0: But now, now you see it with pepperoni and green pepper and jalapenos, and uh, but at uh, places that have never actually had a normal poutine. Correct. So it's a little weird.
1: So that's, that, right. Did you, eat, did you grow up eating poutine at Yeah, like there was Montreal? a truck
0: in Ottawa right down the street from my high school, from Lisgar. So we'd right. go there and uh, get poutine. It was right in front of the bell tower uh, in, on Elgin in Ottawa.
1: Oh, perfect. So there you go. Me too, but I only ate poutine at two o'clock in the morning like coming home from a bar in Montreal when I was at college. Like that was, it was now age. you can kind of get it everywhere, but. Yeah. Um, So, I have the two meat sandwiches and the poutine, and then I went in the opposite direction. As I said before, oh, do you want to grab that from Mm -hmm. my Yep. There is a large Syrian community, um, old Syrian community in my neighborhood, one of the greatest sort of spice and Middle Eastern shops in New York for like Middle Eastern ingredients of all kinds. is a place called Sahadi's, which Mm -hmm. is right up here on Atlantic, and next to it is a bakery that I love, a Syrian bakery called Damascus Bakery. And I get a lot of food from them all the time because they just make great stuff. And so I got you za'atar bread and some chili, like harissa bread, and then a bunch of dips and some kebe yeah. And, and meat and spinach pies. This
0: is the biggest spread we've encountered.
1: I know we, we went a little excited because I'm not good at narrowing down because especially when I go to Damascus.
0: Well, this this is I very Canadian everything. because it's got about uh, you know five identifiable cultures. Right. Um
1: <laughs> that was the hope, you know. I want to be inclusive here. So we'll put a couple of Kebe here and I'm going to just cut these pies up a little bit. And then we can eat. Yeah, pour on the gravy.
0: And uh we'll put some pictures up on the Instagram so people can see what we're eating. Okay, great. The delightful spread.
1: So the there's these are pickled turnips.
0: Those are big pickled They're turnips. They're
1: big, I know. I could cut them in half or just crunch They're great. on them. Yeah. This is Baba Ganoush. This is um Mahamra, which is uh, usually in bread and delicious things. And this is labna with dukkah and some olive oil. And then this is from myelin. So this is like the Jewish jelly, traditional, you know, full sour pickle and some coleslaw. But sauce. it's
0: funny, it's, it could be something you'd find at a roadside stand in Israel as well. Right. Um, you know, pickles and cabbage and things like that. So, have you spent much time in Israel?
1: I have spent a little time in Israel. Um, I was in Israel with my family when I was 16 and get you a napkin, hold on.
0: It is a beautiful country. And food-wise, I find it really interesting.
1: It is really interesting. So I was there right when now. I was 16 with my family, and then I went back when I was 18, and I worked on a kibbutz for a few months before college. Mm-hmm. I worked in the chicken farm, and then I worked in the kitchen. That was the first professional, you know, like uh, industrial kitchen I ever worked in. Um, in. In Israel, I worked in the north for, Two months on an amazing kibbutz, which is a complicated and fraught way of life, and then traveled across Israel. So that was when I was eighteen, and I haven't been back. But I'm supposed to go in January. We'll see if that happens.
0: It's amazing. I went with um, a couple four years ago on a big chef's trip. Right. uh, That was really cool. So with um, Ben Ford.
1: Oh yeah. Other people. I kind of remember when that happened.
0: Yeah. And then, um, the chili what did what did in Montreal? Mm-hmm. What what bars did you hang out at it, it, along Saint Laurent?
1: Um, oh my goodness, so many.
0: Like Biff Tech.
1: And- Biff Tech, yes. I mean, there was a Peel Pub moment. It's so ugly to think about now. Um, Annie's was a bar I spent a lot of nights in. Angels. There was this bar called Angels. This club at the corner of. Saint Laurent and Prince Arthur that I spent a lot of time in when I was at McGill. Um trying to think of other spots. Like it's hard to remember them now. There was I don't know, a couple of like big club, like dance clubs we used to go to. And yeah, there was one in
0: Rochelle in Sanity, I forget what it was hmm. called. Big one. I lived right around the corner from it. That's why it was did you cook when you were in back Montreal? My
1: head. Were I cooked
0: um a number of places. I cooked at uh, Buena Nute.
1: Of course. On Saint Laurent. Yeah.
0: When it first opened, cooked there for a while. Uh, and then I had little jobs. I cooked at a Mexicali Roses for a while oh, near Concordia yeah, sure. where I went mm-hmm. to school. Um, and then pitter-pattered around doing some odd things. I used to hang out at Biff Tech most of
1: yes. the time. Yes. <laughs> it's funny to think we were, might have overlapped.
0: Oh, and I think I'm way older than you.
1: You're not that much older than me.
0: I'm 47. Just turned.
1: I'm 42. I say with my mouth full of
0: delicious ice. food. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. You know,
1: I love you know, Syrian
0: food, but every time I eat Syrian food these days, I just think of the devastation there it makes me so yes, sad because like, the city of Aleppo is like
1: mm-hmm, flattened. The children have suffered. I mean, everyone has suffered. Yeah. Which is why I kind of want to support the community because they're really good people in there. Really good cooks.
0: The government of, of Ontario was doing a program where they would. Um, Ascertain which Syrian refugees had culinary experience and then put them into uh, fund a restaurant for them. Really? Yeah
1: in Syria or in Canada? In Canada. Wow.
0: Which was great. That's amazing. They just were triaging and figuring out mm-hmm. what, how people could quickly indoctrinate themselves into the society and become self, right. self-sufficient. self on their skills. Yeah and so you have to figure out what their skills are because the worst thing you can do is Um, just shove somebody into a society who's got a skill set way beyond what you put them into and you never really realize it because of lack of communication. Mm -hmm. I remember working at a restaurant called Maple Lawn in Ottawa, Canada when I I was young. And uh, I was the young sous chef, strident at 20 years old. And um, I had a dishwasher named Zong. And Zong was a really bright, really interesting, older Chinese guy. Not older, but he was in his late 30s. Older than me. Mm-hmm. And after months of work, he came to me one day and he said, "I have to leave," in halting English. And I said, "Oh, you're great. That's fine. Where are you going?" He said, "Well, I'm moving out to Calgary um, because I got a job at the university um, teaching nu- nuclear physics." And I was like, "You know what? You should move on. You should have told me these things. I, I didn't know." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but that's the you know that that's our industry in a lot of ways. It's got this attractive notion of everybody under the sun for all sorts of reasons eventually works in a restaurant and some are lifers and some of it viewed as an art form and a beautiful thing every day that they can learn about and sometimes it's just a temporary stopping point.
1: And it's also a thing that everyone can do at any time. You don't need uh, any equipment. You can show up and And everyone can cook and wash dishes and it doesn't matter who you are and hopefully where you came from you can just come and work, Yeah, and willing to put in the work.
0: Yep, and that, that's what being a chef was gonna be for me before it became my primary motivation. It was just a, a good trade to fall back on, should academics not work out. It became very quickly apparent that academics was not gonna work out for me in a very academic family. So lo and behold, here I am, luckily I know how to chef.
1: But you've, so you, yes, but you also, sort of maybe in a backwards way, were then able to work in a lot of writing and academics years later, so that's sort of amazing that you were able to,
0: yeah, then
1: write and teach and.
0: I blame it all on Adderall. I, I think it fixed everything.
1: I think a lot. That's a, that's the same for a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs>
0: uh. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and add custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Hugh Atchison stirs the pot a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at Atchison, A C H E S O N dot Robinhood So, what's what's next? Are you, you're still at Food and Wine?
1: I'm still at Food & Wine. I've been at Food & Wine for 14 years in various capacities. I'm not there full-time. Food I Food & Wine's had
0: a lot of change in the last year. years. A lot
1: of change. Uh, you know, in the last three years, we've gone through three different editors and each came with an upheaval of staff. I have hung on for dear life, but I do something very different because I'm not an employee. <laughs> I'm not there full-time. I do a bunch of projects for them. And those projects are changing. I mean, for years, Top Chef was a big piece of what I did for them. Now I do, you know, I have a column and I'm doing a lot more video and social and event stuff for them. There For five years, I ran the Classic in Aspen, which was an exhilarating, amazing job, but I couldn't do it and also do all the TV stuff that happened simultaneously and have babies. So, um, so I love being at Food and & Wine and I'm there and I'm active there and I'm constantly in conversation with um, Hunter, our new editor, but I'm not there full-time. Hunter time.
0: Lewis um, was at Cooking Light mm-hmm. and a number of other publications over the years and he's he's great, mm-hmm. he's really good and I think he's that that magazine's gonna be in a good place with him in the long term.
1: I think you're right, uh, he's very passionate and he's earnest and he takes it seriously, which I appreciate. It's a hard landscape, media in general, Right now, obviously, especially print media, is on its head. It and is it's changing every day, and, and I think they're
0: figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Their online presence is stronger than ever, and uh, they're they're making it work. Um, you, for the first time, in eons, weren't didn't go to Aspen this year. I didn't
1: I had a baby? Had a baby four weeks before that was ill timed on my part. Is
0: funny because back in two thousand two, I didn't go to Aspen that year because we had a baby. Right, we had our first baby, mm-hmm. Beatrice. And that we didn't go to uh, do the the, the festivities mm-hmm. for food and wine festival out there or Aspen Food and Wine, um, but it, yeah, this year
1: was it was really good. Are um, you gonna go back?
0: Yeah, good. I'll, I'll okay, so I'll year. be
1: back too. We got to do yeah. stuff together a lot, I which I always love. I know. Um, I, I had yeah, I had a baby in May, my second a little boy Cole.
0: named Cole.
1: He's a really good dude so far. Just a happy guy, sweet and easy. Um, my daughter's five. She's a handful of energy, which I love, but it's exhausting.
0: It's exhausting when they're like that. But mm-hmm. but it, it's also looking at them. and they're sorting themselves out.
1: They are. We sort ourselves Testing out in life. Freeze.
0: You know, I look precocious and uh, emotional uh, is to me are signs in youth of powerful people.
1: Because they're you're just right.
0: lining it up in their heads, yeah. Figuring out where their strength is.
1: You're giving me hope.
0: And they're they're pushing your buttons.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're the dad of two girls, and so I always have been in awe of. I mean, girls are. I everyone have, is is their own person. I have I love three seeing, older
0: sisters and mm-hmm. two daughters, That's right. so oh, it's you a are crazy surrounded. world. I'm, yeah, um, yeah. But it's it's amazing, you know. Watching them grow up, and you know, my kids are fourteen and sixteen now. But they're more so my close friends now. <laughs> it's really funny nice. how mature they become yeah. so qu- quickly, and can converse about everything under the sun, and keep up with us on Jeopardy. And uh, yeah, it's it's great.
1: That is amazing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Although I'm loving every stage, like I really am. I I love having a baby again, which I was very nervous about. Finding the bandwidth in my life to have a second child was not a given for me. And I travel a lot for my work and I'm dedicated to my work and I love my work. And so as a mother, that was a complicated balance, still is every single day. Like getting out of the house in the morning is always a bit of a miracle. Mm -hmm. But I also am loving every stage of my children's lives. I love having a baby, how much fun it is. I'd forgotten how funny and sweet it is and how they don't yell at you or talk back or run away, so that's really nice.
0: Until they learn to talk and walk and run, yes. Poutine? Poutine.
1: Um, But I also love my five-year-old who pushes back and is, you know, she just started kindergarten, so She's feisty. Feisty, but she's a sponge and she has a million questions and I love her questions. We went on a nature walk this morning before school to pick out leaves because she needed to find different leaves to give to, to, to talk about in her class. And we found six different leaves in the neighborhood. And that was like such a wonderful little morning together. You know, all those things that I love so much about the age that she's at.
0: Sometimes I find kids are great because they remind you of the amazing things around us all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Through the unending question of what is that? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is that? Mm-hmm. And, and why? Before, and why, and how, but before anyone should ever as a parent get annoyed by that question, you need put the prism in front of you that they're looking through and realize, that's so cool. Yeah. It's just the age of wonder. New. Everything's new. And I think we'd be a lot better as humans if we just looked with glee sometimes that's just all those things and realized, hey, wait a minute, that's so cool.
1: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I know, I try patience, if there's anything.
0: Kids. Children teach you
1: patience, reteach you patience and it is such a vital learned skill.
0: Yeah, but you need to practice it. Yes, it requires practice. practice. It's like, it is a state of mind. Mm -hmm. But it's also, there's an implication with patience of having empathy and not jumping to a conclusion or jumping to a
1: or making an, assumptions
0: as, yeah as nervous anxiety ridden assumptions it's like riding the subway in New York is one of those situations where if you're g- not going to have any empathy you're not going to have a good ride if you're not right. going to have patience you're not going to have a good ride
1: just relax. It's going to come when it's going to come. There's going to be as many people on it as there's going to be.
0: Yeah. We were getting on the escalator to go down and, uh, at the 42nd Street station this older woman in front of me with a big bag and blocking the whole escalator. And I was right behind her, but I wasn't giving any signs of being, you know, jumpy about it. But the guy behind me was being. I you know, shot him a glance and she looked over at me and she was like, should I move? And I was like, "No," <laughs> I was like, "I'm not in a rush." She's like, "You must be going to work." <laughs> <laughs> I was funny. like, "That's good." Perfect New York <laughs> moment. It is. That's really
1: funny, and it's true. You're right. It is an exercise in and so my children help me with yeah. that a yeah.
0: lot. Yeah, I just I think that's what the world needs. Is uh, we all need to just have the wonderment of kids a little bit more, and. Be patient with them. They're, they're just, they, it's so fun to watch them learn Though, Man, it's just cool.
1: It is. It's the best. Yeah. And I'm just at the beginning of school, you know, and all of that. I feel like I, you know, I, I had children later than a lot of my friends. And in a way that always gave me a lot of anxiety because I'm an older parent. And mm-hmm. my parents were older parents to me. And that, when I was young, was hard because my parents and I had such a generation gap. But I also now have come to realize how valuable that is. And it's
0: all changed because you're going to live to 120. totally. I'm going to live to 120. And I am
1: so much cooler. (laughs) I mean, I am tapped in. (laughs) I'm sure my daughter is going to roll her eyes at me just as much as I did at my parents. But I do love that I think it has given me a level of stability and assurance of myself and confidence that I hope to pass on to her. And I think that's really valuable too.
0: Yeah. So
1: we'll see how it all turns out in the end.
0: We're always going to see how it all turns yeah. out. So are you going back to Canada Canada anytime soon?
1: I'm actually going back to Canada in four days. I'm going on or five days on Sunday. Not exciting, but my father had hip replacement surgery last week. So my dad had
0: hip replacement oh. surgery. Now he's like running laps again. Yeah. My
1: stuff. dad is an athlete. Yeah,
0: eventually. my dad was a massive athlete. Mm-hmm. Quarterback at That's U That's great T, to hear. Drafted in the NHL. And it changed him like
1: hip replacement was... Yeah, Good because,
0: I mean, he was just, uh, you know, stayed and not doing anything, and that was anxiety-ridden for him. Exactly. But now movement and just getting out there and playing tennis again every day, I mean, it's The just thought that my dad,
1: changing. exactly, will be able to play tennis and squash and run. Mm-hmm. and You know, he's a big swimmer, and that, I think, is going to be life-changing for him. So yeah, I'm really excited. And he is. recovered really well, but he's bored, and he's at home for a couple weeks. So Dahlia I've and I are going to
0: go. Whoops. I've thought about uh, maybe we should get uh, hip replacements early because it seems such a duress. Prophylactically.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, we
0: know genetically they're probably going to go. Might as well just get yeah, bionic early. That's so true. you guys are going, you and Dalia are Dali going to go. Dalia
1: and I are going to go just for, you know, 48 hours to play dominoes and hang out with him and see him and keep mm-hmm. him company. So that'll be fun right before Thanksgiving and then That's we'll, awesome. we're back here.
0: That's great. Yeah. And Canadian nice. Thanksgiving has already passed and gone. Mm-hmm. It's way Which different I never really, up there. You know,
1: I never really celebrated it growing up. Canadian Thanksgiving. For us. We
0: did, but you know, I, I, in yeah.
1: yeah, not the same as. It's not food. the same, but no. it's my favorite American adopted holiday by far.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I just can't keep up with this debate about brining or not brining a turkey. What,
1: what do you generally do?
0: I just salt it, mm-hmm. like a day ahead of time. It's
1: like dry dry, dry brine. brine is that what yeah.
0: they call it now? Yeah, you know, you know, pull out a lot of the juices that you want, and relax the protein a little bit, also make sure that the skin's uber crisp, and then just cook it. But the idea of deep frying turkeys with Hopping John Taylor made famous years ago in a Vogue magazine article written by Jeffrey Steingartner.
1: My old boss. You yeah. know that? Uh, Jeffrey? Jeffrey.
0: Yeah. Wow. I
1: worked for him for two over two years. Hmm. I was his research and recipe assistant right when I left kitchens. Okay. I was a line cook, but I knew I wanted to write. I sort of went to culinary school and went into kitchens to get the experience knowing I wanted to write about it. And I was working as um, at the Garmanger at Vong Restaurant, Jean Georges' yeah. Thai restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. and read Jeffrey Steingarten's book, The Man Who Ate Everything. And it was a life changing book to me. It was the most brilliantly written book about food I had ever known. I didn't know who he was, I'd never read Vogue magazine. And I went to my career services director at my culinary school and said, do you know this guy? Like, this guy. Where
0: did you go to culinary
1: uh, Well, it was Peter Combs when I was there. Now it's the Inst- yeah Institute of Culinary Education. Yeah. And I...
0: That's the ICE so, we w- want fully funded and yes, operational. Yes, right. The that's the right ICE. ICE.
1: The other one, not so much. Not so much. So I went to them and said, you know this guy because he's amazing and I want to be his assistant because he talks about his assistant in his book and she does all the things that I wanted to do. Recipe testing and research and running around New York City and, you know spending time at the library and spending time at the green market and in Chinatown and on, you know, Arthur Avenue in the Bronx and my culinary services director said, I know Jeffrey and I know he's looking for an assistant and five days later I had the job.
0: Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's why
1: I never left New York. I would Otherwise I would have probably gone home to Toronto, but I ended up working for Jeffrey for two years. I wrote his second book with him and did all his research and all of those things. It was, an incredible education. It was the most difficult. He is okay. Good. He's not in great health. Right. But he is arguably, I think, the greatest food writer of our time.
0: I yeah. I think he uh, he's an amazing food writer. And that that actually that article was really uh, mm-hmm. this is years and years ago in mm-hmm. Vogue, but probably around 1990s. Yeah.
1: 93.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about deep frying a turkey, which is the worst way to cook turkey. And also, uh, you have more likelihood of getting a good turkey out of it than you do. You're have much. you much more likely to burn down your house than get right. a good turkey out of it.
1: Do not try this at home.
0: No, no. And not under your garage, under the canopy, on the wooden porch. Uh, all
1: of those yeah, things that can, seem obvious. You, can the when video. you say them out yeah, loud. When you
0: say 400 Fahrenheit degree oil and a water a barrel oil. of a oil. Watery, oil, watery, watery bird going into it. That's not a great
1: combination. Terrible. Wouldn't do that. I don't want to do that. Are you hearing that siren?
0: Yeah, it's inevitable. We're in Brooklyn. It's the BQE. Too bad. All right. Well, Gil Simmons, thank you for feeding us. You're welcome. This has been wonderful. Thank you for being the most wonderful uh, expat Canadian I know.
1: Thank you, I'm honored. I'm so uh, happy that I got to see you.
0: I know. I miss your kids
1: I know, I'm actually surprised that hasn't come back because it's raining out but he probably fell asleep he can't walk and, far no he can't go far but my nanny's probably just walking in circles in around circles. the block he's
0: probably asleep then that's, that's good that's what i'm assuming that's good well thank you
1: thank you of course
0: this episode of hugh atchison stirs the pot was taped by brian blum on location in brooklyn new york Scott Porch produces the show, and Mackenzie Mizell edited this episode. You can follow Hugh Atchison Stirs the Pot on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and come back Tuesdays for a new episode. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hugh Atchison. Thanks for listening. Eat well. Be swell. Don't collude.